All right, let's pray and we'll get into this. Father, we just thank you. God, we thank you that you are um, moving today. We thank you that you uh, will um, guide us and direct us in what we need to understand from what you're saying to us, God, in your word. We thank you that when we read your word, God, it it becomes alive to us and it becomes um, transformation to our lives, God. And we just... We just thank you that um, what you're going to do today is just going to bless everyone, God. And we just thank you for who you are, that you love us and care for us. Lead us and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So last week, um, I started talking about... Can you take it? Sorry. i got pockets full of stuff. Get this kangaroo pouch here and you just start putting stuff in it. So um, We talked about waiting on the Lord. talked about um, Isaiah 40, 31. It says, but they will wait... Upon the Lord, and they shall, and He shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on the wings of, as, huh, wow, can't talk this morning. There we go. They shall mount up upon, up with the wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Um, we talked about allowing God to, um, to lead us through the process, not expecting God to move when we expect Him to move. You know, there's a lot of times in our lives we expect God to do what we ask him to do in the time period that we want him to move in you know it's like god i need this for my family and i expect you to do it by this date if you really think about that what i just said that sounds really ridiculous when you when we talk when we when we actually think about this well, you know god i need to be healed by this this time god i want to be healed now god i need my finances to change now i need my um relationships to change now i need my kids to change now i need my family to change now i need my marriage to change now and god's like well hold your horses There's something about waiting on God and going through the process because what we ask God to do is not always what he um, is willing to do at that time because what he's wanting to do is we ask God to to say, oh God, I need this now, but he's trying to work us through a process to get us to that point to be able to receive that. Does that make sense to you guys? Like he, he doesn't, he doesn't just give things. He's not like the genie and just goes, poof, there it is. Um, my wife loves that movie, so um, he just doesn't give us things that we can't handle. Like, oh, I want, I want a, a, a better job. Well, can do you have your finances in order to be able to um, make more money and do and handle your money wisely, or are you just going to take more money that you make and blow it on things that you shouldn't blow it on? And or I want my kids to change, but you're not willing to set an example for your kids to, for them to change. God's saying, okay, I'm listening to what you're saying. I hear what you're saying, but there's a process you have to work through and you have to wait on me to work you through that in order for things to change. And that's hard for us as humans, right? We we don't want to have, we want it like that. We're like, oh, I'm changed. God changed everything for me. Now I can just go upon um, about my life as I want to with the blessing that he has without me changing to receive that blessing. And so waiting upon him, um, you know, the definition in the dictionary says to be inactive. But for us, that, that's completely different. Waiting upon the Lord it does not mean being inactive. It means being active in the relationship with him and waiting and trusting in him to restore, rebuild, renew, whatever it is that he wants to put into our lives. We have timing issues. We want it now. We expect it to be fast food. God's a little more like Culver's. You wait for the goodness. You have to wait for him to 
show up. You know, God wants to empower us, but we have to um, be an active, while waiting, we have to be active in our um, relationship with him. You know, uh, relationships usually don't work if there's only one person in that relationship. Um, so the breakthrough that we want to happen is, re- is dependent upon what we do while we're waiting for God to do what he does. It's how we go through the waiting that allows us to receive the blessing that um, he, is, he is bringing for us. Sometimes, a bless, sometimes what we're praying for happens immediately. Sometimes it doesn't, but we rejoice in both circumstances. We, we rejoice that, hey, God is working it out for me, and we rejoice that it happened immediately. Sometimes our healing happens immediately, sometimes it doesn't, but we still rejoice that God is doing it for us, right? Make sense? So waiting on God means to, to wait for him in, a, in an active way. So let me go back to this, find out where it was real quick. Okay, sorry, had to move to the right a little bit here. So a lot of times it means to ma- remain stationary or inactive, but I believe for as Christians, it, re- it means to be in a state of readiness or expectation, to look forward to expectantly, not just I'm sitting here and I'm waiting. It's, no, I'm expecting God to do something good. I'm expecting him to show up. I'm expecting him to, to uh, fulfill what he promised he would fulfill. But that's not the only part of waiting on God. So we, we talk about waiting on God, and it, it's about waiting for something to come through for us. And that... And that waiting on God, that part of it, that scripture, that's the selfish part of it. And I'm not saying you guys are all selfish, but you are. Um, and we all expect God to do something for us. We're all selfish. We are humanly selfish. We just want our needs met, right? And so what happens is, is we have to take that selfishness and shove it way down inside. It's like our feelings. Just take them and shove them way down. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, but there's something about waiting that has to be um, to, there's a, a second chapter to, to waiting on God. And I'm going to read this scripture to you again once more. And I want you guys to uh, listen to this. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings of e- as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. It says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. So what happens is this, is when we wait on God, doesn't make us inactive, but it makes us take something that we have and give it off to him so we that now can be renewed. We can bring something, uh, a new energy, a new plan, a new um, purpose, a new calling in our life to, when we wait upon God. He doesn't say those that wait upon the Lord shall be bored says they shall renew their strength. So there's something about when we wait for God to do something that allows us to be renewed. Because what happens is, is if we break connection while we're waiting for God, and I'm not saying we're ever far from God, he's always there near us, but if we're like, well, God is just not showing up, I'm just going to wait and I'm not going to do anything and he's just going to, 
You ever had a kid that thinks they're going to outweigh you for dinner or they're going to like, I don't want to eat this or they're going to outweigh you for something. My kids would just be like, nope, not going to do it. And you're like, I have very long patience. God is that way. But what happens is, is I think sometimes we try to wait out God like, well, I'm just not going to do anything. I'm going to sit here until you give me what I want. But that's not what we're talking about today. So I remember um, when our kids were really little, we went to Olive Garden one time. We went to Olive Garden a lot. My wife loves Olive Garden. She That's her favorite place to eat. And so we went to Olive Garden, and we had this waiter. His name was Anthony. I'll always remember him because he was the best waiter we ever had, literally ever in our entire life. Every place I've been, really expensive restaurants to Burger King. He was the best person. He was always attentive. He was always, like our kids would drop their pacifier, they'd drop something, he'd grab it up immediately. He'd see us coming into the restaurant and he would, he's like, that's my table. One time we didn't have him as a waiter because he was on the opposite end. He whispers to our waiter for like two minutes and she was like, how can I help you? Everything she was doing because she knew and he told her, if you take good care of them, they will tip you a really good tip. And he was our waiter for like two years. And then one day he was gone. I'm like, oh, now I got all these crappy waiters. You're like, hi, how are you? And then I'm never going to see you again in, in for this hour that you're here. And, um, but he was really good at what he did. He always was attentive to what we were doing. God's that way, right? God is attentive to what we're doing. He's always visually keeps us in his sight and says, okay, wh- what's going on? That waiter was always like looking to see if we were done with our plates, if our bowl was empty, if we needed more salad, if our glasses were empty, if our kids had dropped something or whatever. And he was just there. He was always, boom. He was so good at what he did is we tipped him usually double what we would normally tip because he was so attentive to how we were doing, what we were doing and how we were doing that he knew that if he did a good job, he was going to get paid well. But... So last week we talked about waiting on God's timing, but I want to talk to you about um, something a little bit different. And it's Numbers 3, this is uh, Numbers 3, 6 through 8, and it says, Bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron the priest, that they may serve him. And they shall attend to his needs and the needs of the whole congregation before the, the tabernacle of meeting to do the work of the tabernacle. Also they shall attend to all the furnishings of the tabernacle of meeting and the needs of the children of Israel to do the work of the tabernacle. So, to wait, there's another definition, a couple definitions for it. One of them is to direct one's attention to, we talked about that, to apply the mind or pay attention, to be ready for service, to take care of or minister, to devote one's service to. That's why they call them waiters or waitresses or, I don't know, in today's culture, serving people. I don't know if you don't want to be categorized into one of those, but it's not my concern. Um, But the Levites were called to direct one's attention to. Think about this. They were called to direct Israel's attention to God, called to direct, um, uh, to turn people's hearts to God and to direct people's hearts to God. 
So the Levites really owned nothing. They had no land. They were given no land by God. Twelve tribes come into across the Jordan, and God gives, divvies up the land. He goes, you know, Joseph's tribe, you give this. The tribe of Benjamin, you get this. But the Levites didn't get anything. Sounds like a, a bum deal, but the principal role of the Levites was to tend the temple. So I'm going to go over a couple things that they were required to do in some of their duties. The singing of psalms during the temple services, performing construction and maintenance of the temple. So these guys weren't just sitting in their nice robes waiting for Sunday to happen. These guys were workers. Yes, they weren't out in the fields working. They weren't fighting the battles, but they were working. They were tending to God's house, serving as guards and performing other services. So these guys just weren't, you know, oh, well, we fixed a chair today. No, they were serving as guards in the temple too. Maintaining cities of refuge. And I'm going to explain that. So cities of refuge, when, when, when the children of Israel came into the promised land, God said, set up six cities of refuge. So the Levites, here, here's the thing, is there was a temple in one area, but which was the main place of worship. But the Levites weren't just all, hey, we're all going to group in this area. It wasn't like churches these days. Everybody's going to come to this one area and we're not going to do anything else. These Levites were, were dispersed throughout the cities, the major cities and the, and the towns in Israel. And so there were six Levitical towns. And so what these Levitical towns were doing was um, if someone had... Um, so if someone was, say, in a fight and someone attacked them and they killed that person, uh, not, not murder but manslaughter, if there was something that happened and you killed someone, they could go to these um, cities of refuge and the priest there would take you in and, and protect you from the person until you could stand trial. Back then, it was kind of eye for an eye. You, you do something to me, we're going to take our family and kill you all. Kind of sounds like this area, doesn't it? Um, but they would, if somebody was accused of killing somebody, if it wasn't murder, a lot of times they, would, they, were allow, um, they could go to these cities and the high priest there would take them in and protect them until they could stand trial to make sure that they were guilty or innocent. And so these guys were um, maintaining these cities, these walls, these, these places of refuge, so these people, if something did happen, they could come and be safe. The book of Ezra actually reports that the Levites were actually rebuilding the temple walls with Nehemiah. They were out on the walls building and putting stone in and protecting and taking care of the people while they were there. Then the last part of it was they would translate and explain the Torah when it was publicly read. That was one of the biggest things that they were supposed to do was to take the word that God gave them and explain it to them and, and to read it publicly for everyone to hear. It's funny because there's a, um, a word for them, and in English, it's, uh, it's Cohen. And it comes from the, the um, Aramaic, which is Kohanim. And what that means is um, special honors. Um, they're su they were subject to restrictions. They were descendants of priests. That last name is something that is 
not just a last name. There's a lot of other names that, um, you know, you read about people or you see people in um, things, and there's the name Cohen, Khan, Katz, Le- Levi, or Levi are usually from Levite descent. And they say that those people have a different chromosome marker in them than other people of Jewish descent. So here's the thing is, the, the Levites, um, the Levites, excuse me, were not just people set there waiting on Sunday and for the sacrifice. They said, okay, well, we're just going to sit here and wait. They were actively serving on God. They were waiting on God, saying, God, what are you requesting of us? What do you want from us? What do you need from us? And saying, let us take care of your needs. Let us serve you. You know, we're not called just to wait for God. We're called to wait on God. Actively serving him and waiting for him to do something. Saying, okay, God, while we're waiting for you to do what you want to do, while we're waiting for you to say what you're going to say, we're going to serve you and attend to your needs. You know, a server waits on people and says, how can I help you? What do you need from me? How can I assist you? And the Levites were called to do that too. They were called to assist God in the work of what he was doing. To wait upon God basically means to ask him what his requests are. And I think too many times we wait for God for our request, and he's like, well, wait a minute here. When you read this scripture again, it really does sound like not so much for us to be waiting for him, but to wait on him. Think about it. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run, they shall not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. So when we, we read this scripture, is it really wait, us waiting for God to come through all the time? Yes, it is. But I think it's really talking about us waiting on God and attending to God. Not that God needs us, but he created us for a relationship. It's us waiting and saying, God, what are you asking us to do? What are you asking us to it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That was good, though. Um, but it, it's us applying ourselves to the Father and saying, God, what do you want from us? What are you asking us to do? So this is a twofold thing. When we ask God for something, it's like, no, we're just not going to wait for him to do something. We're going to apply ourselves and say, God, what are you asking us to do? How are you requiring us? What are you requiring us to do during this time? There has to be an action in our request. Is it making sense to you guys? Okay, one person it is. Thank you. You know, we, we always want God to work. But do we want to work for God? 
You know, think about the, the Levites. They were people who dedicated their entire lives to serving God. Knowing that they wouldn't get land, but they knew that, that God would provide for them. So when we are we're asking God for something, when we're, we're talking to God, he, it's not about us sitting back and relying on God to take care of our needs and just resting. It's about us applying ourselves in the kingdom of God, in the work of the ministry, in the work of what God is doing in order for us to work our way through it. I think that's why we wait on God for so, uh, for so long sometimes is because we wait on God and we're just like, when you coming through? When you coming through? When you coming through? You said you were going to do something. I'm waiting for you to do something. It's not like that. Waiting on God is, I'm waiting. I've made my request known like we talked about last week, but now I'm going to throw myself into what you're doing, God. Not, well, I'm just going to wait for him, and when he shows up, he shows up. No, go meet with him. Go attend to him. Go serve him. 1 Peter 2.9. No, oh, excuse me. Wrong word, verse. Luke 10, 38-42. Okay, so Jesus enters the village, and a woman named Martha welcomes him into her house. And she has a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much of the serving. And she went and told him, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha, why are you so anxious and troubled about many things? But this one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus saying, what do you need? What are you doing? And then she washed his feet. It's not about us. It's not just about our request. Think about this. This is a relationship with the the Heavenly Father that is asking us to be part of his kingdom. We don't have to be. We don't have to be part of his family, but he's asked us. He's adopted us. When we, when we uh, are born again, he's adopted us. And he's like, you are now part of my family. So how many of you guys, when you're part of a family, have no responsibility in your family? Whether you're just two people married or if it's a, a family or if it's you know, parents, grandparents, grandkids, there's always a responsibility, right? You, you know, there's chores to do as, as kids. You, you teach your kids how to do things. You know, parents have to to do things. Most of you guys should know how to do your own laundry by now if you're over the age of 10. Um, But think about this. There's always a responsibility in the family. You have to be responsible for something. Children, obey your parents for this is good. Please, obey your parents. Um, That's a responsibility. Parents, raise your kids right. That's our responsibility. Grandparents, Enjoy the time you don't have to raise your kids anymore and enjoy, enjoy the grandkids. But still, instill in them value that you put into your kids. So there's a responsibility in the family. So when we're brought into the family, he is requiring something from us. So when he is our father, 
he requires something from us because he takes care of us. But what I'm talking about here is when we're attending to his needs, we're talking about the king. God is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We attend to our master and we say, what do you need? What do you want from us? One of the definitions is to take care of, is to devote to one's service. That's not, fa- that's not really a family mindset. That is a kingdom mindset. I'm going to devote myself to the service of the king. So that way, when he is working for us, I'm devoting myself to him because he's already devoted himself to us. Think about it. Mary, excuse me, Martha was so busy doing stuff for God But Mary was waiting on God and and seeing what he was doing. Martha's like, well, I'm just, I just got to do this. I got to be in the kitchen. I got to make dinner and I got to make everything right. You know, and and Mary was just like, what are you saying? What do you want from me? But Martha got distracted. And I think we get distracted by doing things instead of serving. And waiting and waiting and waiting at his feet and saying, what are you telling me to do? What do you want me to do? But we just get busy. Well, I, I, I did this, and I, I went to church, and I, and I, I gave money. But that's it's not about that. It's about sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing what he's saying, sitting at the feet of our king and saying, how can I serve you? Kings don't make suggestions. Kings don't sit on their thrones and go, well, you know, I really suggest this. No. They don't make requests usually either. They make edicts and they say, this is what's going to happen. Kings don't go up to their, um, their enemies and go, you know, I'd really like you to not attack my people and not raid the, the, the country and, and do this. No, kings say, if you come into my country, if you harm my people, I'm going to lay the smack down to you. They don't, but think about this. We, we go to God always as, you know, I, I, it's a good mindset, but we always go to God as a father and say, well, this is what I need. But when do we ever go to God as a king and say, what do you need from me as a servant in your kingdom? What do you want from me? We have, we, we've got to quit just putting God as the father alone and start to put him back on his throne and say, God, you're the king. What are you requesting what are you telling and making an edict that we are going to do as a, as a people that follow you? You know, there's something about us in America that we have our own independence and we are independent in everything we, we do. We don't understand countries that have um, dictators or supreme leaders that when they say something, it goes. And if you don't do it, you, yeah, you get thrown in prison. We don't understand that. But God, it, luckily, he's not that way. You know, I just can't imagine if, if, you know, our father in heaven who is king was like, you know, little rocket man trying to, you know, control us and telling us everything that we do is either this way or that way. So when we look at God and we take him as father, it's God, I need this from you. We go to our dads, right? And I remember as a little kid, when something's going on, you go to your dad. When, you get, when something's going on at school, you go to your dad and be like, you need to take care of this. And my dad's going to come beat you up, you know. 
that kind of stuff. But we, as, as citizens of heaven, citizens of the, in the kingdom, we have to start looking and going to our king and saying, what do you need from me? What do you want us to do? How can I serve you? How can I make your job easier? And I think if we start to get the, the balance, the mindset of going to him as father and going to him as king, we're going to start to take, take some of that um, entitlement out of how we go to God. And we'll stay, take some of that um, unrealistic expectation of how he should move in our behalf on when we want, when we start to look at him as king and say, you know, what? I'm going to wait upon you so that you can wait upon me. Think about this. He is the ultimate servant. And he, he gave his son. He sacrificed everything for us to be with us. And so what, when we do this, when we take away the, the complete mindset of him as father, well, God is doing this, and we always call him father, but have you ever called him king? We talk about that king of kings and lord of lords, and he is you know, king of heaven. When we start to relate to him like that, we're going to start to take some of the selfishness out of our request and start to be, uh, turn our minds and our sight towards him as king and say, how am I serving you first of all? Here's the great thing is kings will fulfill request. And when we start to, to turn our head away from just looking at him as our provider and our source of everything and start to look more at him as king, it will start to balance our view out and start to think about him. Yes, he is our king and we bow our knees to him, but he is also our father and is the one who supplies, our, uh, supplies what we need, takes care of us. And when we do that, we'll start to get a, a balanced view of God. Because I think we, we, when we look at God as just the Father, we kind of get entitled like our kids do and say, well, you know what, I need this right now. And I really want to do this. And, and like I had a request today, like you need to stop by this time because I really want to go swimming. And I love my child. <laughs> And, um, but think about that. You know, when we go to God and we talk to him and say, I need you to do this and I'm, I'm requiring you to do this, but there's something that he requires from us as part of the kingdom. And it's attending to God. First Peter 2, 9. Now we'll get to the scripture. But you are chosen a royal priesthood, a consecrated nation, a special people of God's own possession. So you might proclaim the excellencies, the wonderful deeds, and the virtues of him who called us out of darkness and into light. Think about this. He calls us a royal priesthood. When we're born again, when we, when we um, release who we are and we give our life to Christ, we are now his We've given ourselves. We are, he purchased us with a price. He bought us, from, he bought us out of death, the slavery of death and sin, and he brought us into his household. That doesn't mean we get to do whatever we want. There's a requirement. Like I said, part of the family. We are required to be part of the family. But he says you're a royal priesthood. So what does that mean? Now we're all Levites. Maybe not by blood, 
But we are all required to do the same thing as those priests did. Let me remind you what those were. Performing construction on the temple. Um, to teach and to um, lead others to read the Word of God and explain it to other people, to tell other people about God and who He is, and to serve Him. If you look at all these, these duties, these were just, the, the Levites said they were all about serving God. It wasn't about what they got. It was about serving. You know, what's it's great about this is one of our foundations is we are significant. God has made us each significant, so we must serve well. Start to, to take your focus and your single-sightedness single of God as Father and start to redirect your sight to be focused as God as King and then God as Father. Because He was King way before He became our Father. Am I right? Before we, we, we gave our lives to him, he was always king. But once we, gave our, we, we laid our life down for him, then he became our father. So it's not about just getting what we want. It's about seeing what God wants. While you're waiting for him, wait on him. Attend to him. Say, hey, what can I do for you right now, God? What do you want me to do for you now? What do you need from me now? What can I do for you? Quit being inactive and start waiting on him and being active in what he is doing. Not just, well, I didn't get what I want right now, so I'm going to wait for him and I'm going to sink my heels in the ground and as soon as he comes through, then I'm going to be active. No, it doesn't work that way. Being part of the family, being part of the kingdom means you are actively waiting on God. Saying, I'm going to tell you what I need, but I'm also going to wait on you and see what you're doing and what you need from me. Because the moment we start doing that, we take our eyes off of our, uh, what we need and the waiting becomes easy. You guys ever waited for something from God and it's like, why is this taking so long? Like, it just feels like it's dragging on. Like, well, God, I asked you for this, and this is what you told me I, I was going to do with my calling and my giftings and my, and now I just don't know what's going on. Why am I waiting so long? God's like, because you're focused on that. That's the only thing you're focused on. If you would focus on him and attending to his desires, his wants, instead of what I want, it'd be a little easier. Your waiting would be very easy when you're waiting on him. Attending to his needs, attending to his desires, his kingdom, his family, instead of, well, this is my family and this is what I need and this is what I want and my family, my, 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 my. And he's like, you're still part of my family. Why are we neglecting the 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 requirements and the calling and the, the duties of our being part of the family when we want something. We neglect our father when we want something. We neglect his family when we want something. When we look at him as king first, 
and then as Father, we will understand and say, you know what, yeah, this isn't all about me. You're going to fulfill my request, but I still have a part to play in the kingdom. I still have a part to play in the family of fulfilling what I've been called to fulfill. God has made, made each one of you significant, so we must serve well. We serve him first and get things from him second. If we try to get things from him first and serve him whenever we get what we want, that's not being, that's not being part of the kingdom. That's not being part of the family. That's called, I'm just here to buy something. I'm here, as soon as you give me something, then I'll do something for you. It's like a Mexican standoff at the, like the guy at the pizza, you know, the pizza guy's like, hey, slip the money to me. I'll give you the pizza. It's never like, hey, give me the pizzas first. And then you give him the money. He's always like, you kind of like do this because he's afraid that you're going to take the pizza and slam the door on you. Um, We can't wait for God to do everything for us. We have to be active in it. When we start to sit and put our heels down, then we become lazy. Then we neglect the, the, the family. We neglect the kingdom. If you've been born again, you are called to serve. If you are born again, you have been called to be active in the kingdom and part of the family. So wait upon God. What is his request? What is he asking of you? Quit asking him for what you want and start asking him for what he wants. Because what he wants for you is usually going to end up what you want in your life. Take your focus off your needs and start to focus on what his needs are. Let's pray.